With our special skills, ethical obligations, and credible voices, health professionals are in a unique position to be human rights advocates. What is being done and how can you get involved? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host. And with me today is Dr. Holly Atkinson. Dr. Atkinson is the Medical Editor-in-Chief for EverydayHealth.com, a leading online consumer health site that helps people manage their health online daily and live better lives. She is also Assistant Professor of Medicine and Co-Director of the Advancing Idealism in Medicine program at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Dr. Atkinson is past president of the Board of Directors of Physicians for Human Rights. Welcome to ReachMD. Great to be with you, Leslie. Now, Holly, how did you get involved in Physicians for Human Rights? Oh, it's a wonderful story. This was many, many years ago. I've been on the board 16 years, so it's probably 17, 18 years ago. A colleague of mine said to me one Thursday, Holly, are you doing anything tonight? I said, well, depends why. (laughs) What what do you have planned? (laughs) She said, well, there's a play, Death of the Maiden, that Glenn Close is acting in tonight on Broadway. I live in New York City, so this, this is in New York. And she said, I've got two tickets, and the one performance tonight is being done as a fundraiser for Physicians for Human Rights. Well, I hadn't heard of it then. And she said, you know, after the play, there's a cocktail party, and Glenn Close is going to be there. Well, some of the listeners may actually know, especially in your parts of the wood, her father, Dr. Close, I believe is a family physician out in the Midwest, and he's been a marvelous advocate for the underserved and and human rights, and I think that's where she got her a little fire in her belly, and she was happy to do this performance for us. So Hmm. I made the great decision to go, and I walked into the room that night, and it was filled with passionate, concerned physicians reaching out to the world and the community to change the world, given their special knowledge, and it absolutely changed my life, and thank goodness I went that night. So tell us about some of your activities. Well, what PHR is really skilled at is documenting human rights violations, health and human rights violations, and we do concentrate on the overlap of health and human rights. By the way, that overlap is large. Our work will will not cease for a long, long time, but what we do is we document those human rights violations, and then we work with given collections of physicians, other healthcare professionals, concerned citizens, to do advocacy work. And, you know, the advocacy work can be anything from, you know, policy decisions in Washington to, you know, working on the HIV AIDS epidemic in Africa to juvenile justice here in the United States to ending the death penalty a myriad of different kinds of issues were involved with. We did win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1997, and it was a wonderful, wonderful recognition of the work of not only PHR but a number of other nonprofit groups. That's an interesting tale because it had only been about six years previously, a group of nonprofits, including Jody Williams. Now, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize is usually awarded to an individual, But in 1997, the committee stepped out of the usual recommendation and said, well, we're going to recognize Jody Williams, but also this group of nonprofits which had created the international campaign to ban landmines. And it had only started about six or seven years previously. 
And the interesting thing about that is that there was a little bit of a disagreement in the early days about what the goal of the international campaign to ban landmines should be, about whether or not it should actually go for banning landmines, or, you know, set a goal that was a little less idealistic and outrageous as that one. And the good news is, is that the stretch was a good one. It was a great one. The decision was made to go for banning landmines. A lot of people said, you're never going to achieve this. Too many governments around the world use them. You know, the great lesson here in history is that, indeed, when you set a goal like that and you bring the right people to the movement, you can bring about phenomenal change. And here it was six years later, and we saw the signing of the Ottawa Treaty in Canada, well over, you know, 100 and some odd countries, I think it was 100, over 140 countries signed on. Unfortunately, the U.S. is not a signatory to that. And in the same year, the International Campaign to Ban Landmines was recognized by the, the Nobel Peace Committee. So it really shows the power of when you bring people together, especially physicians' voices. You know, I, I don't think physicians realize how powerful and meaningful their voices can be, especially when they're put together in a concerted group. You know, we're taught to save the world one at a time, you know, in the sense of patient care and individual patient care, as well it should be. But as you mentioned in the introduction, Leslie, increasingly physician bodies and physician organizations are saying that it's part of our ethical commitment. It's part of our sense of who we should be as professionals to realize that we have a very important knowledge set, experience set. We are witnesses to the suffering of our patients and the consequences of social determinants of disease. And that that knowledge and experience and deep wisdom can have a terrific impact when you bring it back out into the public space. So increasingly, there is a call for this deep ethic to really pervade our sense of professionalism. You will hear me argue for this quite passionately. As a matter of fact, I give a lot of addresses on this subject. I recently gave one at the Wild Cornell Medical School where I'm adjunct faculty and there were a lot of medical students in the audience as well, and of course, they receive this message. They embrace it so strongly, and I think that's because it taps into the original sense of idealism that we all brought to medical school as students. I think we forget how we are perceived even these days by the world as being really something special as a physician and, you know, often isn't a big deal to us because we are one, we hang out with physicians, you know, we live it every day, but it really is a very powerful platform. Well, absolutely. And the public, there have been some surveys done and the public agrees that physician expertise, it's not only the biological aspects of disease, but that physicians have this profound knowledge and experience about social, environmental, economic influences on disease. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of a paper, I think it was a very important paper that was done in JAMA in 2004. And this is a paper that was done by Grun et al., and they proposed a model of physician responsibility. And they actually asked this very interesting question in the paper, which is, what's in the domain of physician obligation, and what falls in the domain of physician aspiration. You know, physicians have incredibly busy lives and, you know, the practice of medicine has become so much more difficult under managed care and 
the time crunch and whatnot. And it's like, you know, we can't ask physicians to go out and shoulder, you know, the entire world and be responsible for changing the world too. So the question is, what is it that should be within the domain of the obligation and what should be in the domain of the aspiration? Well, Grun did this interesting model where they propose that obviously things that are in the domain of individual patient care, yes, access to care because it's such an important determinant of health status, and then those things that have direct socioeconomic influence on disease. You know, there was a paper that was just published by, uh, I think it was Stephen Schroeder in the New England Journal of Medicine in September, if I remember correctly, and it was on the determinants of health. And there's a great pie graph in there where he breaks out the determinants of health. And what's interesting is that 40% of health status is because of behavioral issues. 30% is thought to be genetic. 15% was environmental. And 10% was health care itself. So we know that if you look at the issue of health status itself, that a lot of things outside of healthcare influences that, which is why Grun et al. argue that things that directly impact people in the community are the domain of physicians. Now, then there are other things that he puts in the professional aspiration category, which would be broader socioeconomic influences and then global health influences. And obviously, some physicians have chosen to make a career out of, for example, global health. And we now at Mount Sinai have a a new track in global health, and we have a lot of young medical students and interns and residents interested in that track. So I think this notion of our ethic and what our obligation is to give back to society is in transition. I've actually seen, Leslie, where some people have suggested in the medical literature that our continuing medical education credits get changed. So, for example, if the requirement is so many, you know, 50 hours of Category 1 and so many hours of Category 2, that some of those hours could and should be community service and that then it would be upon the physician, him or herself, to decide what kind of community service they wanted to partake in. So, for example, you know, a surgeon may get involved with kids wearing their helmets when they ride bicycles or a A cardiologist may be concerned about getting people to lose weight or quit smoking, and a psychiatrist may want to work with young people to try and prevent depression and suicide. You know, it's finding what's close to home and what influences and impacts your practice of medicine and giving back to the community. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Holly Atkinson, the medical editor-in-chief for EverydayHealth.com. We are discussing Physicians for Human Rights. Now, Holly, what advice would you give to our listeners that may be interested in getting involved but really aren't sure where to begin or how to do it? For people who who want ideas, they can go to PHR's website. It's phr.org, and we have a number of different areas that we're working on, both in terms of geographically and on issues racial disparities in America, juvenile justice. We're working on torture in Guantanamo. We do forensic work. A lot of our work in the early days, in fact, was on forensic work. A lot of people may not recognize the name PHR, Physicians for Human Rights, but we were the ones, for example, that exhumed the mass graves in Srebrenica and in Rwanda, and most people know of that work. We have a broad array of things that we work on. We're working on maternal health now 
maternal health is a very big problem around the world, and we actually have a, a problem here in our own backyard again. So, you know, I would say go on the Internet and put in health and human rights and explore a number of the nonprofits out there, including PHR, and see what's going on in your local community and get involved. I promise you it will change your life. Thank you so much for sharing your story. What an inspiration. Leslie, it's great talking with you. Thank you for having me. We've been discussing Physicians for Human Rights with Dr. Holly Atkinson, the past president of the Board of Directors. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you access to our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 